Great job, worship band. Thank you, as always. What's up? Good to see you all. Last week, uh, we, you actually helped me with a message where we took a look back at 2018 and then we took a look forward at 2019. Well, today, I want to talk about changing your world. My name is Joe Collins. Welcome to See Me Church. As was said earlier, our mission is to love God and love people. So there was this man, and he went out and bought a donkey from a preacher. And uh, the preacher told the man that the only way to make the donkey go was to say hallelujah. And the only way to make the donkey stop was to say amen. Well, the man jumped on the donkey and he said hallelujah. And sure enough, the donkey took off. And then he yelled amen. And the donkey stopped and he said, you know what? I want it. I'm going to buy it. Here's the money. And he bought the donkey and he left with a hallelujah. And the donkey took off and he went on this long journey. And after a really long time, he got tired. It was a long, arduous journey through mountains. And he was dozing off and in and out of sleepiness as the donkey was just plodding along. And then he noticed, kind of half asleep, half awake, that the donkey was headed towards a cliff. And in his anxiety as this cliff was approaching, he forgot how to make the donkey stop. So he started yelling words out, stop, halt, don't. And then he remembered, oh, wait, I bought it from a preacher. And he couldn't remember the word. He knew it was religious. So he yelled out, praise God and sing amen, amen and, and uh, joy to the world. And sure, the donkey kept going. And just as the donkey was about to step off the cliff, he said a prayer, God, please make this donkey, donkey stop in Jesus' name. Amen. And the donkey stopped right there at the very edge of the cliff. The man was so relieved, he laid back, put his hands up, and he said, Hallelujah! (laughs) I don't know how your 2019 is going, but hopefully it's better than that. (laughs) We're going to be talking about changing your world today. It's a two-part, it's it's part two of a three-part series that I started back in December. And uh, like with the donkey, where there was two commands, stop and go, I have two sermons today. And like I did last month, I'm going to let you choose which sermon you want me to preach. So I have change your world through discipleship or change your world through partnership. In December, we did change your world through worship. But you tell me, just shout it out. What would you rather hear, discipleship or partnership? Shout it out. I'm hearing a lot of partnership. Okay. So let's do it. Let's go. I'm going to click through my slides here for a second, but we'll get through it. I'll just do it this way. But while I, uh, while I do this, what I want you to do is I want you to be thinking about the concept of partnership. And specifically, I want you to think about this idea that God wants to partner with you. He wants to partner with me. He wants to partner with people. We're going to turn to Genesis 1 in a minute, but before we do, let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you so much for 2019, for a fresh start, for your incredible love and blessing in our lives. Thank you for this opportunity to look at your word and to be inspired and encouraged and refreshed by it. I pray, Father, that You'll speak through me today to the audience and to me as well. Let your spirit guide me in the words 
help me to say what you want me to say and how you want me to say it, and really inspire the church today to, to be about world change. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Genesis chapter 1. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock and over and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the, air, in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with the seed in it. They will be yours for food and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that he had all that he had made and that it was very good. There was evening and there was morning the sixth day. In the beginning, the Bible teaches us that God created time, space, and matter. Genesis 1, the first part. And then he began to arrange the universe into a coherent organization or a coherent structure. And on the sixth day, the Bible tells us that God created man, male and female. But he created them differently than the rest of the creation. They were given a, a special position in the creation. In fact, they were created in his image, and they were given a purpose, specifically to fill the earth and to subdue it. Now, the creation itself was perfect in the sense that it was complete. But that didn't mean there wasn't still work to be done. So in order to finish the creation, God empowered man to procreate, to multiply. And he gave man power to subdue. And that was his plan for mankind, to scatter throughout the world and then to subdue it. And that was his plan to finish this incredible creation that he, that he had made. Now, the word subdue here is an interesting word. It's a Hebrew word, and it's kabosh in Hebrew. And it's a, it's a harsh word. It's a violent term. It communicates uh, the ideas of enslavement or to place in bondage. And the idea being that nature left unsubdued would become wild. It would be unmanageable. And so God gave man this incredible responsibility to manage, to put in order creation. He gave them the power to kibosh nature, to subdue it, and to make it conform to his will, but also to God's will. This was by design. 
This was how it all, this is before sin had entered the world. This is how God created things. This is the true natural order that God set out to create, to build. This is how it should have been, or it should have remained, maybe I should say. And so right from the very beginning of creation, we have this concept, even before man fell, even before the, the, the serpent and the deception of Eve and the whole eating of the forbidden fruit, even before all that, we had this partnership that God established between himself and mankind. From the very beginning, God created a partnership. You know, even after the fall, God continued to partner with man. As a matter of fact, just about everything that's been done in religious history has been done as a partnership between man and God. We have Adam and Eve, fill the earth and subdue it. We have Noah. He was to build an ark. Noah was to save the human race. God could have saved the human race. He didn't need to have Noah built an ark, but he partnered with Noah, and Noah built an ark and saved the human race. Abraham, one of, uh, one of the descendants, God chose Abraham and his family to be the chosen people of God. He didn't need Abraham, but he chose to partner with Abraham to create a people who would follow him. Then he raised up a guy named Moses. Moses freed the Israelites from their slavery in Egypt. God didn't need Moses to do that, but God partnered with Moses to free the people, the Israelites. God raised, raised the whole nation of people up to be lights to the world. They weren't always very good at it. <laughs> he didn't need the headache, but he partnered with them nonetheless. Isaiah, one of the greatest prophets in history, God asked him to speak his words. He partnered with Isaiah. We have the disciples to fish for men. God partnered with 12 ordinary men to spread the message of Jesus throughout humankind. He didn't need them. He could have done whatever he wanted to do. But he partnered with people. I could go on and on and on. But I have an example. My favorite example in the Bible of God's desire to partner with mankind. Now, I'm going to admit on the front end, it's not a great example because they don't do it. But it's still one of my favorite stories and one of the best examples of God trying to partner with people. Matthew, chapter 14, verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. And he said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. John the Baptist, a hero 
of the Israelite people. The guy who baptized Jesus and passed the torch onto him had just died. Jesus had heard about it and he was moved. He was heartbroken. And so he withdrew by boat to get away. But as was often the case in Jesus's ministry, and for all of us that are parents, it's hard to get away. <laughs> Want to get away? So he got away, but the crowds heard about where he went and they followed him. And the Bible tells us some 5,000 men, probably with women and children, some 20, 25,000 people showed up. I don't know what your holidays were like. We had 50 at our house. I don't know how many you had. It wasn't 25,000, but 25,000 people, not just people, but needy people showed up because they wanted something from Jesus. And so he spends the whole day, instead of resting and recovering and mourning the loss of his cousin and dear friend John the Baptist, he serves and ministers to this crowd of people all day long, and it's getting late. And his disciples are worried because, hey, nobody's eaten all day, and this is a lot of people, and how are we going to feed all these people? And so let's send them away so they can go into the towns, the villages, they can set up camp, they can make dinner, they can... They can feed themselves. And Jesus looks at them and he says, partner with me. You feed them. You know, in golf, uh, it's been a while since I've golfed, actually. I think I'm almost about give, ready to give it up. I'm not very good. So, but uh, they have this phrase, tee it up. It means, uh, you know, when you go onto the tee box to, to hit your first shot, the drive, you put the ball on a tee, and it's supposed to make it better. And I don't know why I'm terrible at it, but it's supposed to be better when it's teed up. And that's when you can hit the ball the farthest, the hardest, and, and get your best shot. Jesus literally is teeing up a miracle for the disciples to perform. All they had to do was say, well, well, okay, Jesus, we'll partner with you. We'll do it. That was it. That was all it would have taken. Maybe a prayer, maybe a gathering of the, the food that they had, but it could have been them. It could have been the disciples that reached into the basket and pulled out a fish and some bread again and again and again and again, miraculously, until all 25,000 people were fed. It is so clear to me in this scripture that Jesus wanted them to do the miracle. He wanted them to partner with him. But did they? Swing and a miss. They whiffed it. I mean, there it was, just teed up right in front of them. But they fell short. Imagine if they hadn't. Imagine for a minute if they had stayed in the pocket, if they had taken the swing, if they had hit the ball, man, would the Gospels have been so different? The stories would have been so different. Imagine having that experience of having a God perform a miracle through you in the lives of so many people. How incredible that must have been. How awesome that could have been. But they weren't ready to partner. So Jesus ended up feeding the 5,000. When my son Hunter was young, he was uh, in a baseball league. And uh, it was t-ball, actually, I think. And, you know, if you know Hunter, he's not a big baseball guy. He's a great athlete, but he's more the military, tough guy kind of guy. 
So T-ball wasn't his favorite thing. But you know when you coach T-ball, every season there's the, there's the uh, go to the Dodger game, the league goes kind of thing. So I wanted to be a good parent, and I, want, I was the coach, and so we wanted to go and take everybody. Hunter did not want to go. He could care less about the Dodgers. And so I make him go, and he's kind of unhappy the whole time. And about the eighth inning, I finally like, okay, Hunter, the Dodgers were getting killed. And uh, I'm like, well, there's no fun being here anyways, so let's go. So we leave. And that inning that we left, <laughs> the Dodgers hit back-to-back-to-back-to-back home runs to win the game. I could have been there. It's like legendary in Dodger history. They had no more back then. Back-to-back-to-back-to-back home runs win the game. But no, I whiffed. I didn't push through. I didn't hang in there. I didn't stay in the pocket. I didn't take a swing. I left. And I missed out on such a great moment. How many moments have you missed out on that God has teed up in your life where he was wanting you to partner? He was like, come on, just take the swing. Take the swing. Come on, stay in the pocket. You can do this. How many moments have we missed? So ever since that moment, I said, I am never leaving a game early. So fast forward two years, my friend Jack Shirk takes me to a Dodgers game. They were playing the Phillies. Sit down, Philly. Jack goes to a Dodgers game in full Philly gear. <laughs> Anthony was there. Somebody else was with us. I forget who. And, and the whole da- game, we hear everybody yelling at Jack, sit down, Philly. <laughs> now, the game wasn't worth going to anyways. I think they were both out of the playoffs anyways. I can't remember. It wasn't that big of a game. So we were there, and it's the ninth inning, and it's tied. And everybody's leaving because it's... Who cares? What's the point of this? It's, it's kind of a throwaway game. It's no big deal. And I'm like, nope. <laughs> when you're not leaving. 18 innings later, <laughs> the place was almost totally empty. I think we were the last four to walk out. <laughs> but I wasn't going to miss something great. How different could our stories be if we would just stay in the pocket? If we would just take the swing? If God, when, 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 when he comes into our life and he sets something up so perfect for us, and we just stay there and we, we take the shot, how different could your life be if only you'd be willing to partner with God? You know, God's desire to partner did not end with the apostles. He's still looking for partners today. So sometimes I get asked this question. What's your plan for? I get that question a lot. Joe, what's your plan for See Me Church? What's your plan for the budget? What's your plan for the teens? the junior high, the campus, for growth. I get that question a lot. And you know what? I have an answer. And my answer is awesome. The answer is you. 
you're the plan. Because that was Jesus's plan. His plan was for me to be the plan. And guess what? His plan is for you to be the plan. He wants to partner with you to fix the budget, to grow See Me Church, to, to grow the teens, to inspire the singles, fill in the blank. He wants to do it with you. Now, are you going to leave the game in the eighth inning? Are you not going to swing at the ball that's been teed up for you? The question really is, will you become a partner? Will you partner with God? Are you willing to enlist, to sign up, to join the team, to be a part of what God is doing and trying to help accomplish His will in your life at this time? Someone said to me this once, and I believe it to be totally true. The fastest way to grow your church is to fire the minister. And you know it's true. It's absolutely true. There's always a better minister. There's always someone who's going to do a better job or maybe fire the worship leaders because there's always a better one of them. Or how about the team workers? Fire them. There's always better ones of those. There's better campus ministers out there. There's always someone better, isn't there? And if your goal is just to sit in a church and spectate, then that is the solution for you. Fire the minister. But if your goal is to partner with God, then I'm your guy. I'm not the best. There's a lot better but I'm committed to partnering with God. Because I want to be in that moment. I want to be in that pocket. I want to be that guy that has that chance to take that swing. And you know, if you swing and miss, who cares? You at least took a swing. Even Jesus tells a parable about that very thing. Man, you, you could have put the money in the bank and I would have rewarded you instead of running away from your responsibility. You see, if you really want to do something awesome, if you really, truly want to do something great, you got to stop thinking of yourself as a spectator and as a participant, as a partner. We're in this together with Jesus Christ. He didn't do all this from the time of creation, from the moment of creation, all this work, working through all these different people to quit now and then let you be entertained. Are you not entertained? <laughs> if you want to partner with God, I'm your guy. Because that's what I want to do. That's where I want to go. I want to be a part of a church where everybody is partnering with God. What would that look like? What would the fellowship be like in that church? What would the outreach to the community be like in that church? What would the relationships be like in that church? We have a lot of words, we have a lot of vocabulary for words like discipleship, 
and worship. But interestingly enough, we have very little vocabulary about partnership in our church. We don't talk in that term. I want to change that. I want to create language around the idea of partnership. Instead of saying, oh, I got discipled, bro. Maybe we could say, man, I partnered with God. I'm a stakeholder. I'm an investor. I'm all in. Let's create new words. Let's create new language. And let's start right now. Here's what we're going to do. Audience participation. What do you think of when you think of the word partner or partnership? What comes to mind? Friendship. Part of the plan. Teamwork. Teamwork. Equal. Equal? Family. Family. A couple more. Action. Action. Commitment. Commitment. We're in it together. Festive? Festive? Oh, invested. Supportive. Supportive. Siblingship. Siblingship. So, siblingship? That's a word? <laughs> you got a future as a preacher, buddy. Energy. Synergy. Energy, synergy, potato, potato, right? Those are all great words. We need those words in our vocabulary. If we're going to truly become partners with God, we're going to have to start changing the way we talk about God. And we're going to have to start talking about God as a partnership, as we're in this together. One of my favorite brothers in the church, and he's one of your favorites too, I'm not saying anything different than you already know, is Jack Shirk. Maddie's dad. We love him because he's Maddie's dad. But you ever listen to Jack talk about his walk with God? Always. Come on, God. God, what are you waiting for? Come on, God. We got to do it. Come on, God. I need you in on this one. Come on, God. He's always talking in that language. We need a little more Jack Shirk in all of us. Not too much, just a little more. We need to be partners. For me, I think of relationship. Because I really do think God and I are in this together. I'm not just checking off a list. That's not what I'm doing here. I'm not just punching in my time clock. I'm not just waiting to get paid. I want to co-create with God. I want to build something with God. I'm a stakeholder. I'm invested. My whole family's invested in this. Myself, my family, some of my extended family. I'm a co-owner. There's a difference between being an employee and an owner. The The owner's there early. The owner makes sure things work. The owner cleans the bathroom. The co-worker, well, or the, the, the employee gets told to do it. I don't want to have to be told. I want to be in this relationship. That's what comes to my mind. And all of those words, you know what they mean? They mean that whatever it is that I do actually matters. Isn't it nice to know that what you do matters, even if it's unnoticed or insignificant? When you're partnering with God, having your quiet time matters. 
Spending time in the morning in that first time or that first hour of the day or last hour of the day or whenever you do it, but spending that time actually matters. It's not punching in the clock. Being an example at work when no one else is around matters. Loving your spouse matters. Being there for your children matters. What you say in public and in private matters. It's actually an incredible blessing to have substance to our life that what we do counts when we partner with God. Saying no to the, to the wrong crowd at school or at work matters. Saying yes to the right things at school or work matters. When you're a partner, when you're a co-owner, when you're a stakeholder, a co-creator. And you know what? There's no telling what God might do through you. Feed 5,000? Save your children? Help somebody out of a rough time? It matters. I was with Joe and Bonnie Gasper. I don't know if they're here, but you guys know them. Great friends. Their son, Dane, is off at boot camp right now. And, uh, oh, they're in Europe. Well, there you go. I should have went to Europe, Hunter, when you were gone. Um, but uh, they told me a story, and it's a cool story, and I'm going to steal it. So since they're not here, and if Joe tells it for a communion, act like you never heard it before. <laughs> But it's such a great story. So Dane was doing really great. He's been doing great. He's one of the uh, squad leaders. I don't know the term, Hunter. But he's one of the squad leaders or whatever. And they give you a lot of responsibility when you're going through basic training for that kind of stuff. And one of the challenges they had was they had to have a group. Uh, I don't know if it was four or eight people, whatever. But they had to land nav from one place to another using maps and uh, dead reckoning and compasses and all that kind of stuff that I don't know anything about. And... While they do it, they throw challenges at you. So in this particular case, uh, Dane's group, uh, they had to get from point A to point B, but along the way, they had a wounded soldier. The, the, drill, the drill sergeant showed up with a wounded soldier, and they had to make a decision whether to medevac him, call for the helicopter, which would take a couple hours, or hike him out, which meant that they had to carry his gear, a 60-pound bag, with him, that team of four, eight people, wherever it was, had to carry him out. And the challenge was, a leader, it was a leadership test, and Dane was the leader of that group. And the question was, what do you do? Well, all members of the group said, call the Matavec. Every one of them. Because none of them wanted to have to help hike a 60-pound bag and a wounded soldier out. And Dane said, you know, I don't know. I think the right answer is to get him out. It's faster, and I think we got to do that. And Dane had to stand against a group of his peers and fight this out. And none of them wanted to do it. And finally, he said, I'm doing it. I'm going to make this decision. And if you want to abandon the mission and stay here, if you make the right call, then so be it. But if I make the right call, so be it. And so he began to hike out, and a couple people followed him, and eventually the whole group followed him. And guess what? That was the right thing to do. Amen. That was the test. Amen. Dane was in the moment. 
He, was, he took ownership. He took leadership. He was a co-creator, a stakeholder, a co-owner. He took the responsibility even when no one else wanted to do it, and he made the right call, and he was rewarded as the only group that actually did that, and that was the test. What's the moment you're in? What are those moments where it's all on you? you got to make a decision. It might not even be popular. It might be unpopular. Are you going to be the owner? Are you going to partner with God? Are you going to stay in the pocket and take the swing, or are you going to abdicate? I like to think about what God might do through me if I stay in there. Over the holidays, I got to serve at the For the Need holiday party. It's the one we do every year. All your toys that you give for the toy drive, thank you very much on behalf of For the Need. But those toys get used for this party, and we go down there, we throw a party, we give the toys away. It was a great party this year, and every year we end with a little wrap-up, and we have all the volunteers, and we talk about what we learned or what we got out of the event, and everybody always shares about some moment with a kid or whatever, and it's really great. But there were these three people that shared, members of our church, one in Shoreline, two in our Valley Church, our sister churches. And they shared that at different times in their life, they were actually on the receiving end of a party like that, where they found themselves in need with very little. And an organization, a group came in, threw a party for them. They left with gifts and toys for their family or whatever it was. And now they get to return the favor. What does God want to do with you? What does he want to co-create? What does he want to invest in? What does he want you to own with him? And are you willing to partner with him? I have a couple of friends who are in business, and they tell me this over and over. And I believe it to be totally true in business. Partnerships are almost always bad ideas. And uh, I see my friends that are businessmen, and they're all going like this. Yes, they are. They're almost always bad ideas, but not with God. It's the one partnership that is never a bad idea. In fact, it's what he wants. It's where I'm going in 2019, and I'm inviting you to come along. A few weeks ago, Gio started off this series uh, with a sermon called uh, Changing Your Perspective. And I don't know if you remember, it was early in December, and he, he shared that he was feeling scared about where we were headed as a church into the new year. There's a lot of unknowns. And there's a lot of responsibility. There's a lot of pressure. I've shared with you already the situation financially. It's very stressful. And I got to thinking about it, and I realized that I'm scared too. I wasn't thinking I was scared, and thanks to Gio, he let me know that I was actually scared. Because <laughs> we have a really big ask. It's a big ask to grow a church. 
Not just a little. We're not talking a little. We're talking a lot. It's a big ask to create a culture of generosity, to have a giving church, a church that is not dependent on outside funds, but that pays for its own bills, pays for itself, self-supported. And we have a big, big road ahead of us to get there. And I realized I'm scared because I can't do it alone. As a matter of fact, Jesus won't do it alone. He, he's already shown us throughout the history of Scripture, he wants to partner. And that's what he's looking for. And you know, I want you to let this sink in. When the disciples failed to feed the 5,000, Jesus lived with the result. That's an incredible thing to think about. But Jesus will live with the result. Whatever you decide to do in your faith in 2019, Jesus will live with it. You might escape as one escaping the flames and make it to heaven all by yourself. And amen. I want to get to heaven. Or you might be able to sail into heaven and bring all your friends and family and as many people as you know along with you. And the difference is, is are you willing to partner with him or not? Because he's ready to perform miracles. He's ready to give you what you ask for. He's ready to empower you to subdue the world around you and make his will be done. He's given you the ability to multiply. But he'll live with it if you don't. And I realize that I have to live with it if you don't. Just like he has to live with me if I don't. And you have to live with me if I don't. And so what am I trying to say here? I'm trying to say that we're all in this together. Amen. That no one escapes this truth. God wants to partner with us, and we have a choice to make. Are we going to be the answer or not? Are we going to partner with him or not? And that is the challenge I give to you in 2018. I've already made my statement known. I am partnering with God. I'm going to ask that you take time this week and you pray about this lesson and this concept, and then you make the same decision. Partner with God. Yes, it's scary. Yeah, I don't know how it's going to turn out. I don't know what's going to happen. But man, at least we can go down swinging. Partnership absolutely can change our world. At this time, we're going to close out in a prayer. Do me a favor. Stand on up. Let's go arm in arm. Let's pray together as family and as partners and ask for God's blessing to be upon us in 2019. Father, thank you so very much for this time at this moment where we have a, a choice. We have a decision, God, and that is to go with you or not. I pray, Father, that every one of us makes the decision to go with you. Let's all follow Maddie. She made her decision. She's going with you. Nicole made her decision. Dylan made his decision. Aaron made his decision. So many other people last year. And over the years, many, many people have made that decision. I pray that we make it again today. 
to go with you, to partner with you, and let's just see incredible, incredible things done in your name, for your glory in 2019. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You are to